Tu vas pas, 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 de... You're not built to last, Will. Neptune's is not going to be a happy bunny. Possibly the weirdest thing to happen. A restaurant staring at this stark naked boy. Where that man mixes with kebabs. Chaos always in the shoes. You can actually see my singular brain cell leave my head. Pubescent reptile in an orange bandana that's really good at martial arts. Hello, and welcome to What's in Matt's Head. With me, Matt Head. This is a podcast all about a ridiculous road trip that rumbled around Europe a few years back, passing through some of its cultural cities, along some of its charming coastlines, and over some of its captivatingly craggy mountains. We explored abandoned World War II hangars, we got robbed whilst we slept, and we utilised the aerodynamics of pizza in a food-flinging fight with an irate Italian. In this episode, we are taking you on an audio tour of Rome, diverting majorly to Portugal and then returning to Rome and the Vatican. As usual, it'll be full of fun and facts, learning and laughter, and of course, Will and Charlie. So lads, the land of the Colosseum, the centre of the great empire, and home of the Vatican. What are your thoughts, and Will, what are your memories? I have two memories that really stand out for me about Rome. The first one was actually finally being able to drive a van and being able to drive us into, into Rome. Kind of by this stage, I know that last episode I did praise Matt on his driving ability, but by this stage, I kind of felt like, you know, I'd sat in the passenger seat long enough. I'd been the assistant long enough and I was ready for that step up and to literally be behind the wheel and to be driving us forward. And so, yeah, I did ask Matt if I was able to drive the van. It was met with some mild hesitation and a bit of worriedness from Matt kind of with my insurance at the moment on a scale of James May to Richard Hammond I'm much more closer to the little hamster it was it was a bit daunting for Matt but he did eventually after much nagging and perseverance uh, let me sit behind the driving wheel and I did drive us into Rome a full 20 meters in an abandoned car park yeah it was it was very nerve-wracking for me considering that I have had to help you pull your car out of a ditch probably more than once but yeah you you badgered me enough and I thought you know what he's not too happy in this parking space there's a nice one just over the road so I'll let him start up the engine try and find the gears and then slide us into a nice new car parking space and to be fair he didn't hit anything we didn't crash and I didn't make any navigation errors we made it right across the car park so I think everyone was happy with that but saying you drove to Rome is quite dubious I actually think it was probably the best driving I've done in my life, being able to drive that 40-year-old vehicle. I managed to get it into first gear, second or third time. And I actually, I, I don't like this point that you say that I didn't drive us to Rome. I drove us to our final destination in Rome, which kind of means that I did drive us to Rome in, in my way of thinking. Right, so you're saying that it went perfectly well, no navigational errors, and the driving was excellent. So I think you've actually stumbled onto the best combo here. You should have had Barn driving the whole time and Matt navigating. It's, it's something that I would have been very much up for for the rest of our journey, but it's something that, just looking at Matt's face now, I probably, probably uh, he wouldn't have been so keen on. Yeah, it's something that insurance probably would have been unattainable in the first place. And I hope it gave Barn some appreciation of some of the long drives we had to do. I think it took us maybe three or four hours to get from Pisa to Rome. And then bonded the last 10 seconds. But technically, I guess, on a strange old technicality, you have driven to Rome. And I, I can't take that away from you. You can't. It's like the 4x100m like relay. You, have, you might have run three of the legs 
but Banny's grabbed that baton Button. and he's run it across the line. And he's standing on that podium and he's yeah. got all he's Usain Bolt. You're just Johan Blake. No one really knows who you are. Completely agree with the logic of that. I, I, I did very much so fears. So I'd driven this to Rome and I continuously for the whole rest of that trip and for the years following, Matt has just been anti that, said that I've only driven 20 metres. It was a pointless drive. It was just driving us from one car parking space to another car parking space. But to me, it felt like I did, did a long journey and it was stressful as it was. Thankfully, Will did get us to Rome. I'll, I'll give him that. He did get us to Rome and I was very excited to get there. Obviously, it's such a place rich with history, what with the Roman Empire and everything else that's gone there. And luckily, I had a tour guide because Will had been there before on a school trip. So he, he rushed me around and gave me some useful facts about the cities, which weren't probably that useful, but still a good memory and a pretty good tour guide. I'll give him that. Yeah, this was another one of my uh, dodgy school trips I've been on in yesteryears. And I still felt as though I knew Rome like the back of my hand and that I could take us around all the destinations, all the tourist attractions. Luckily in Rome, a lot of them are quite big. And so I kind of getting lost all the time. I was able to find a different tourist location just from looking at the sheer size of the building. And so I, I felt as though I did do all right. I scraped the barrel very much so with my limited knowledge of Rome but you know I took us around all of the main attractions all the main buildings and in particular the Colosseum as well which to me is just such a stunning and such a just it's just a crazily sized building for its period of time as well like how, how many seats were in there Matt? About 50,000 people could cram in and watch all the events there so you know gladiators battery abatments and even mock sea battles they could flood it that's how advanced it was they could flood it from the nearby water sources put boats in it and reenact sea battles as well as land battles, which is like, considering how old it is, built 72 to 80 AD, it's almost 2,000 years old, still standing, four stories tall. It's absolutely, it's amazing. Like, it's a real testament to how good the Romans were at getting stuff done. That's insane. You, do, you can't even see that now, a reenactment of a water battle in a flooded stadium. Imagine yeah. going to see that. Yeah, that's that's a great point because this is 2,000 years ago almost. It's 50,000 people. Now the biggest stadium in Europe. We touched on the Now Camp a few weeks ago and that's only double the size. So, you know, they they just pretty much smashed it from the get-go, really. It's outstanding. Yeah, I was wondering as well, just how many how many stadiums in the UK are actually bigger than 50,000 capacity? Like, it's, it's a very limited number and to actually have built that that many years ago... It's crazy, and uh, it's definitely something that when you're walking around, you do you do get the sheer size of it. It's only due to really earthquakes that mo- like one half's kind of lost a few layers. Most of it's still intact, and the only damage is from those two big earthquakes. And they've used a lot of it as building supplies. They pretty much turned it into a quarry. They're like, we don't need this thing anymore, so they just used it as building supplies. And even like some of Saint Peter's Basilica is part of the old Colosseum. That was the first thing I wanted to see, really. It's absolutely amazing. Big fan of the film Gladiator. So it's absolutely incredible place to go. It's just insane. I'm guessing that if they would have done Gladiator with the sea battles, then they would have called it Russell Rowe. <laughs> oh, my God. That is shocking. Thank you for coming to watch our episode. That'll be it for today. Yeah, the whole podcast cancelled now. There's no no recovering from that. If you were Russell Crowe, if you were thrust into the gladiatorial ring... What would you have done to make sure you got the public support and stayed alive? I think one of the big things that I would have done would, I would have loved to have had the spear. I think people who have the spear, you know, if you have the obvious advantage of length, but also, like, are there any rules in my gladiator being able to throw 
your weapon. Like I would have just chucked that spear right at them and a few seconds in, I'll just try and get the job done straight away. So what if what have you missed or there's two of them and then you just left an arm? Yeah, it's a difficult one when there's two of them. But I feel so if there's two of them, the odds are against you anyway. So it's kind of like, you know, just get your one killing and then your 1v1, you can either pick up your spear again. I, I, I don't really know what weapon would actually be be best for that like you know a lot of people just go for standard swords but i feel as though it's better to go out other than that i would go two swords personally kind of spartacus style that's what i'd want i think two swords you just they always look so much cooler like when you're a kid running around pretending you're a jedi or whatever you always feel like two swords is the way to go just got absolutely but no I imagine there, you got swords to defend you you know you can parry i imagine charlie would try and do like a tiktok dance or something to try and keep the cloud happy that seems like his way to not get the thumbs down from the emperor well, I was going to say, what I'd start off doing is I'd give them the old long jump clap before they do their run up and jump. So you got the old big arms above the head, get the crowd crapping for me, going clap, clap, getting really riled up, really jeered up. And then I just use some of my evasive tactics. You know, I'm quite light on my feet. I'm quite nimble. And I just honestly, I think stamina is my main weapon. And I would just outlast anyone in there. I've got enough fat reserves in my beer belly that I'll be able to last a significantly longer time than than some any other gladiator who's got a six pack and he's you know four percent body fat I think I've got stamina and that's what's going to see me through really my real question is would you go helmet or no helmet I would go no helmet personally I get too hot and sweaty and I feel like it's just not going to do me much good if you're getting hit in the head by a sword what's the helmet going to do really I agree yeah. I just, I think it's going to slow me down it's going to re- it's going to restrict my vision and you'll be burning through your fat reserves even faster yeah exactly I just I need to be as fuel efficient as possible and that's just not the way to go for me I'm, I'm there for that as well but I also think that if, if it is 1v2 you know I don't understand what the gladiator rules are I don't know why you couldn't just turn into a spectator watch the other two fight and then just go for the one who survives at the end you know I don't know why it has to be ganged up on you really so I think I'll probably try and find some reason with them and try and see if I can negotiate say you know I try and do what I can I'll give you chip butty or something and try and work my way through it see mate the thing you're forgetting there is that it's not always man versus man you've got animals to contend with we've not even thought about the lions bears rhinos hippos all sorts in there they're not going to barter with you they don't speak english they're not going to trade you. You need a lot of chip buffies. A lot. I understand what you're saying. I think in that situation, the only plausible thing for me to do would be to flood the Coliseum. What if it's a hippo? How are you going to flood a hippo? Mate, honestly, I think, yeah, in that situation, that'll probably be dead. You're just going to take the L. Yeah, I think what we've learned from this is that Barn would die pretty quickly by the sounds of it. He's lobbing spears and trying to drown things. And he's just, yeah, you're not, you're not built to last, Will. But luckily, you did last. You're better suited to being a tour guide. And from the Colosseum, you took me to the next big thing of Rome, which is probably the Trevi Fountain, which is pretty insane as far as fountains go, to be fair. It's another thing that took way longer to build than you think. It took him 30 years to build that. But when you think about 200 years for Pisa and they're still building the Basilica in Barcelona, at least they got this one done relatively quickly but yeah that's a very fancy fountain it's a very fancy fountain but it's another fancy fountain where people just love to chuck pennies in and it's another thing that i just don't understand like when you're in your local shopping center and it's got little water attraction in it people just lob their pennies in it i don't get it well obviously it's a, a thing for good luck and you're giving it to the gods but it actually serves a very good purpose because about three thousand euros a day are collected from the bottom of the fountain 
and they're given to charity for a supermarket for the poor in Rome. So you're doing a good deed and you might just get blessed by Neptune, the god of water in the sea. So it could help you flood some hippos, Barn, if you go and throw a coin. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, actually. I'm all for that. But I fear so as we move into a more cashless society, you know, Neptune's just not going to be a happy bunny. I feel like they will need to make it contactless soon, especially after the pandemic. You know, it might get washed in the fountain, but yeah, contactless is the way to go. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. The next place on Will's tour of Rome from seven years of not being there, trying to remember his way around, was the Pantheon, which he didn't take me in despite it being free. But that was the next famous stop on the road. So an old Roman temple dedicated to the pagan gods. It's another thing about 2,000 years old. Relatively intact, to be fair, and pretty impressive. But that was another rapid sightseeing experience that we just whisked past. Yeah, I kind of feel as though with, um, there's a recurrent pattern throughout this where the cities that we've experienced, the bars or drinks to tourist attraction ratio that we had probably wasn't the best in Rome. And it's probably why we did do it so quickly and didn't really experience it as well. There's definitely a few places that we could have spent a lot longer at, a few places we could have visited a lot more. And yeah, we probably didn't do it as best as we could, which is down to me as the tour guide. There is a very good reason for us rushing through Rome. And that's because on the way down from Pisa, we'd called in my family who were on Every year of my life, I've gone on holiday with Portugal to the same place, with the same other family, which I love. And I didn't really want to miss out on it. I was getting a bit jealous and I was getting a bit tired of waking up next to Barn's feet. So we were debating booking tickets and flying over Portugal to surprise my family. And our last stop of the day was the Alta della Patria. And it was on the steps of that massive monument that we just spontaneously booked some flights for the next morning over to Portugal. And that was a great decision because what are you going to do in Rome for five days? Really, we'd done it all in the day with Will's fantastic tour guiding. We rushed through the rest of the monuments and then slept at the airport and made our way very far west. Rome's a bit of a shithole anyway, I've heard. Yeah, you could, it was built in a day, so it can't be in that good, wasn't it? <laughs> very good. For you, Matt, when we did get to Portugal, how was it surprising your family and in particular your mum as well? Oh, it was amazing. Obviously, we'd only called my dad to let him know we were coming just to make sure, you know, it was okay. We didn't want to turn up and be like, what are you doing here? We don't want you. Like, we were going to enjoy the holiday without you. So he made sure he knew. And he was stoked. He's a very, like, family-orientated bloke, as much as I take the piss out of him when I'm at home. He is, he is great on that. But, yeah, he was stood at the end of the road. We got a taxi from the airport to the beach with, like, just a backpack of stuff. So I knew my family would be there. We go to the same restaurant for most meals when we're in Portugal. Yeah, spotted my family across the beach, crept up, super sneaky, almost like James Bond-esque, crawled along the beach and then sat down next to my mum, who the day before rang me and I was in Pisa and she didn't expect me to quickly change route. So she just sat there, looked at me, didn't say anything for about two minutes. And I was expecting this really nice reunion. But, oh my God, Matt, I'm so happy to see you. Started crying and then just didn't say anything for a long while. And I thought, oh my God, this is a bad idea. She either really doesn't want to see me or she's like having a heart attack and I've killed her. And that was really bad. She was so surprised. She didn't know how to react. But it was even more confusing for my brother and Jen who looked up to just see Will and not me because he dived by them. <laughs> so he'd, he'd plonked down, just jumped in, jumped onto the sand, shook the whole beach and then my brother and his girlfriend must have been so confused. Like, what are you doing here? What have you done with Matt? What is going on? I couldn't imagine anything more confusing, to be honest. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a very valid point. Something, something that at the time, I kind, I kind of plonked myself down when I was like, do you know what? They're just literally not expecting me to be here at all. I don't know why they would expect me to be here at all. It was very 
surprising looks that I got back. But it was an amazing, amazing time. It was a great, great break to have as well. Yeah, we had my mum almost having a heart attack and my brother and his girlfriend and the other half of the family who were there with us all looking very confused. But once everyone had kind of accepted that we turned up, we went to the beach bar, had a bit of a big party. You know, it's a great, it's kind of like an apre bar, like a proper beach bar, live music, plenty of free-flowing drinks and pints. It was amazing. Everyone's so happy that we were there which is the reaction I wanted. It was a bit late in getting it, but yeah, incredibly happy, all kind of singing and dancing. And then we went to like, it was probably Sweet Caroline or something like that. I went to, you know, give it big, stood on the chair, put my hands up, and I stood up to sing the chorus. And like a family friend, he was a bit younger than me. He had his mate with him and his mate, who I only met for like an hour as I went up to sing, pulled my trousers down in front of the whole restaurant. He just bagged me. And I like, just flopped onto the table. Oh my God, it was so embarrassing. My mum looked at my brother like she was going to kill him, not realising it was this other kid. And I was just like, what has happened there? So embarrassing. Absolutely shocking behaviour. Mate, were you, go- were you flying commander? Well, yeah, I've been in the sea, you know, been swimming around. You don't wear trunks and pants. So yeah, pulled it all down in one smooth go. Very fair play to me, absolutely nailed it. But yeah, perfect timing. I went up, hands up in the air, couldn't be more vulnerable. It was amazing to witness as well and just look at Matt's face as the sheer horror setting on his whole family looking around and everyone else in the restaurant staring at this stark naked boy. But uh, it's a great experience. It's not the surprise that I had planned. I'll put it that way. I would, I would like to say, though, that for me, that was probably the second most shocking thing that happened in Portugal. But yeah, we went out on another night to a beach bar and we were just chatting, having a few drinks. Eventually, just started talking to someone else. He kind of asked me what we'd been up to, you know, how's the holiday going? I was like, oh, actually, we just came to surprise my parents. We've flown across from Rome. We're on this big road trip. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And before I mentioned that we'd been to Cavos and telling him kind of all the funny stories about that, about how Charlie thought he'd walked around the island because the sea was on the other side, but actually was just facing the wrong way up the beach. But I also told him about how I met Henry, quite a big lad, fancied himself as a bit of a drinker, did a 20 shot, like 20 tequilas in 20 minute challenge. And he'd been drinking milk all day. He was wearing his special dry shorts for it. He was, he really prepped all day for it. And he did these 20 shots and he was feeling fine. We went back out onto the strip and about half an hour later, he just died. It just hit him like a sack of bricks. He just passed out. And we kind of like carried on. I don't think I was with him at that point. So I didn't notice. I'm like, oh, Henry's, you know, he's not here anymore. He must have, you know, gone for a swim or something. I don't really know. Whatever Henry does in the night out. Told him about that and mentioned it. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's like crazy. Cavos will get you. And he started telling me about how, you know, he'd been having a really good time out. And he saw this massive bloke on the floor of the kebab shop just passed out. And he thought it'd be funny to get a photo of him and this random bloke with like his foot on him. Like he conquered a giant. And he showed me this photo. And it was... This guy passed out, awful vest, shocking haircut, and a pair of dry shorts, which will forever be embedded in my memory. And I took a closer look at it, and I couldn't believe that it was our mate Henry. Like, the odds of going into that, like, the odds of just someone doing that in the first place, pretty slim. Then the odds of us flying across Europe on a whim, bumping into this guy who turned out a slayed Henry. I was, oh, I just couldn't believe it. It's possibly the weirdest thing to happen. Like, we were both so confused. I can't believe that's your mate. That's like his go-to story when he was telling everyone. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's Henry's dry shorts. It makes you think how drunk must Henry have been that this guy has spent a week in Cavos and there's so much carnage in Cavos. And the one thing he brings out is the picture of him and this bloke who he's met passed out on a kebab shop because he's so pissed. 
and it just happens to be our mate. What a fucking ridiculous story. It's such a class story, and it's something, something that each time I remember it, I just keep crying about as well. And the thing that gets me is just that you never actually know with that picture whether Henry actually managed to get his kebab or not. <laughs> Knowing Henry, I, I definitely think he would have got his kebab. <laughs> he just fell at the final hurdle. He made it to the kebab shop, probably was crawling all the way down the, the cabal strip, made it there, just curled up into recovery position, and that was him done. Little known fact, he actually yeah. had his kebab curled up like in the middle of his fetal position belly, so it, it looks like he's just curled up with no kebab, but in fact, he's actually sat there just cocooned up. So easy access. I don't think it's really passed out. I think he might have just been protecting his food from some guy who's trying to like stand on him. It's just rude behaviour. You don't expect that in a when you're getting your dinner. That that man sure does love his kebabs. Wow. <laughs> one of one of my other favourite kebab shop stories, which involves Banny and Hen, was actually on New Year's Eve one time. I think it was two years ago. We've been out in Cheltenham. We've seen the New Year in. Had a good time and we thought it was time to get a kebab. Banny was absolutely full of beans. You've never seen someone more excited to see in a new year. In the kebab shop, just chanting around, dancing around, shouting, doing this chant that was like, kick him in the head, in the head, kick him in the head, to everyone that was coming to this kebab shop. And then Banny sits down to have his kebab. And from nowhere, Henry comes across the kebab shop and <laughs> kicks Banny in the face. Boot to jaw <laughs> as he's taken the first bite of his burger. <laughs> there were two parts of that for me, which which I look back fondly on. The first was that I just straight away went back into eating my burger. But the second was you can actually see my singular brain cell leave my head as Henry's foot connects from there. Yeah, where where that man mixes with kebabs, chaos always ensues. I think it's safe to say. But yeah, the odds of seeing that in in Portugal was ridiculous. I'd just generally love to know if that, if that guy is still going around to this day being like, look at this look at this guy from Cavos, look at this guy that I was stood on in Cavos. <laughs> you know, it's still his story to this day now. Yeah, this could be a very niche shout-out like to our Tamarist dogging viewer, but if this man chances to fall upon this podcast and stood on a man in Cavos in 2016 and then told someone in Portugal about it a month later, drop us a message and get in touch. It'd be, it'd be great to hear from you. We'd love to. We really would. But yeah, that... It was a real highlight of the trip. A lot happened in such a few short days, but it was amazing. I don't think my mum didn't really talk to me much. I went to surprise her, but she couldn't really get over it. So she kind of ignored me for the trip, waiting for me to leave again. But it was it was nice for a few days to have access to showers and toilets and sleep not next to Will, on not on leather, which was sticking to every night. So yeah, it was a great holiday inside a holiday, really. It was a little life of luxury tucked in the middle of our road trip. If you had to pick a highlight from that little trip away from a trip, what would you say it was, Matt? Um, I'd say it's probably, other than getting bagged, it would have been that meal. Just like everyone's so happy to see each other. Such a good surprise. And it's like, it's probably one of my happiest places in the world. It's a place called BJ's. On It's right on the beach. And like, they always have great live music. They do a great burger. So yeah, I've been there so often. It's part of, it's just part of my life going there. And like the Lewins, the family we go with, they're absolutely incredible. I love all of them. So yeah, it was definitely worth it. It was an amazing time. But unfortunately, it did have to come to an end and we did have to return to our sweaty little fanny, which is the name of the van before we take that out of context. We did manage to bring one thing back with us from Portugal, though, which we can safely say was a game changer for us both. And what was it, Matt? Yeah, I was just about to say, we're lucky that we did come back with an incredible gift, which was a bedsheet. They are the most unappreciated things 
in the world. A little slither of linen between you and the leather in the van makes the world a difference. You don't have to peel yourself off every morning. You just slide elegantly up into the van. It was, yeah, changed changed my life, that. Absolutely incredible. Bear in mind, we were in Europe at this point in time throughout the summer. It was about 30 plus degrees almost every single day that we were in, in Spain, bottom of south of France, and in Italy as well. It's a really, really hot places. And we were literally sticking to the bed every single morning when we wake up. And we'd have this little like T-Rex dance with our dead arms, bringing them forward to peel us off and so this blanket honestly was was an absolute game changer for us unfortunately taking a few days out of the itinerary meant we didn't have much time left in rome one of our friends had booked to meet us in venice so it left us one day to explore the rest of rome and obviously we had to check out the vatican and then we had to drive all the way up the boot of italy really to the top so i had another whirlwind tour with with wills guiding and we went to the smallest country in the world which is the vatican city which is a city and a country all in one and a company and a monarchy and it's all it's too confusing for me i don't really know what it is but i do know that it is pretty cool still yeah all that i know it is is it's really pretty much just one building in a square isn't it it's not too much else going on there as where the pope lives but over that as a uh, tourist, the only attraction that you really go to, into is St. Peter's Basilica as well as the Sistine Chapel. And that's where my tour guiding was at its highest. And that's, that's what we did. We managed to get in. We had a quick whirlwind trip around the Sistine Chapel as well. Home of Michelangelo's The Last Judgment, which is a pretty cool painting. It's all on the roof. So you walk into it and everyone's looking up and you're like, oh, what's going on here? But then you look up and it's, you know, some fancy Renaissance art, which is, it is nice. And then you realise it's done by one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you, then you just really appreciate it even more. Because it's, it's so it's impressive as it is, but it's even more impressive when you realise it's done by a pubescent reptile in an orange bandana that's really good at martial arts. But they're stubby little fingers as well. It's unbelievable yeah. how they can get that detail. And it, it makes you believe in God, because that's a miracle in itself, really. <laughs> I do have some other facts about the Vatican, including that it's built on a necropolis. And, of course, built on top of the tomb of St. Peter, who's considered the first pope. That's what the hill is, really. It's just full of dead people. And there's also, obviously, all the archives in there. There's about 150,000 manuscripts and 1.6 million printed books in there as well. So it's more than just one building, like Will said. So basically, it's just a glorified library. Yeah, it's library, museums, well, the second largest building in Christendom, not the biggest. Which, you know, you, you thought it, they wouldn't be allowed to build a bigger one. But over in the Ivory Coast, they built the Yamasukro church which is even bigger and it's pretty much based off the same design do you know why they have to have the vatican like why why does it have to be its own country why can't it just be a part of rome well for a thousand years they had something called the papal state so a long time before italy was a thing it hasn't really been unified since after the romans so the papal states from about 800 through to 1800 kind of ruled the middle of italy like it started getting reunified and they can they conquered all the papal states and just had the vatican left but the pope didn't want to recognize italy so he just sat on his little island they didn't like five popes in a row just didn't leave the vatican like they just didn't recognize italy didn't want to leave because they wanted part of their papal states back. And then until 1929, this kind of lasted, and then Mussolini made a deal with them and kind of signed it into existence, and then it kind of opened back up again. But yeah, that's probably why it's so small, because it lost all its territory. It's probably not very good for religion if you go around fighting. I know they did all the crusades and stuff, and most wars are about religion, but yeah, it's probably good the Pope stayed out of it after that. If you had to pick between reenacting the Da Vinci Code or reenacting Gladiator, which one would you go for? Well, it's a tough one because Gladiator is a way better film. I absolutely love it, but he does die at the end. So if I had to pick between being the boring professor 
or a gladiator. It'd be a tough one. I said I'd be a Toro Bravo in episode one, and I think I'm going to go and say I'll be a gladiator again. Also, I was going to interject there and say, spoiler alert, I've not seen the film, so cheers for that. <laughs> well, that's your own fault. What are you doing being 23 hours and you haven't watched Gladiator? Shocking. Well, I was waiting till I went. I was waiting to go to Rome. When in Rome? <laughs> when in Rome. I, un- I always wondered what the end of that sentence is, you know? It's always like, oh, when in Rome, but, but what? When in Rome, what? But apparently it's when in Rome, watch Gladiator. Does there need to be an ending to it? It doesn't feel like a complete sentence to me, but when in Rome... Reenact Gladiator does make sense. That must be where they got it from. I think it's yeah, a quote in it from the film. <laughs> it's one of the most successful advertising campaigns of all time. It's probably what Caesar said. No, no, he wasn't in the film. No, he was just busy, busy making salads. Yeah. Imagine doing all the stuff that he did. Like you've unified an empire, you've taken control. The main thing people remember you for, other than getting stabbed, is making some good salads. Disappointing legacy that. Yeah, and he got stabbed in the back by his mates, and that's not ideal either, is it? 23 times as well. What have you got to do to get stabbed 23 times? What are we doing counting that number of times as well? I know, it's track after about five or six. Yeah, he didn't last long. He only lasted less than a year since he took over. Not ideal. He's not actually, he wasn't actually a very successful emperor, was he? Well, he kind of saved Rome, some would say. You know, he, he did well in Spain. He did well in France. He came back and took over, marched across the Rubicon, beat Pompey. But then, yeah. Obviously, he wasn't doing too good once he got the top job. A lot of people just do so well getting to the top, but once they make it, they just crumble. Veni, Vidi, Vici. Maybe the top's came, just not meant for them. What's that, Barn? Maybe the top's just not meant for them. Maybe they're, they're just meant to be an assistant. You know, it's just like me with a van. I, I realised that my seat was in the passenger seat. I, was, I wasn't meant to be at the top. I wasn't meant to be the driver. And, you know, as a result, I didn't get stabbed in the back. So maybe Julius Caesar could learn a lesson or two from me, really. Big time. Something that I found out recently, which I thought was really cool, that I didn't realise. So you know how Julius Caesar had a bit of a fling with uh, old Cleopatra and uh, yeah. Mark Antony? So there was the three Roman emperors. There was Mark Antony, uh, or three Roman generals, Mark Antony, Julius Caesar, and one other. They all tried to woo Cleopatra. Augustus. He was called Octavian, then he became Augustus. Yes. And I didn't realise that. So there was these big battles and eventually Rome won. Cleopatra, the last pharaoh of Egypt, died. Committed suicide. Yeah. And that was the end of Egypt and the start of Rome and the first Roman emperor emperor in Augustine. Yeah, that is right. So after Caesar died, Mark Antony and Octavian and another bloke who history tend to forget formed another trimurative, which is what Caesar had with Pompey and another bloke. But then they went to war with each other. Octavian won. Mark Antony was hooking up with Cleopatra. And after the battle they lost, they both just kind of committed suicide. And that, yeah, then Octavian went on to consolidate his power restore the Republic Institutes, but really kept the power for himself, called himself Augustus and became the first emperor of Rome. You're damn right. So are you saying that the Colosseum could have been in Egypt? They had the pyramids in the way. So, yeah, the end of Egypt coincided exactly with the start of Rome in the first Roman emperor. And that is a mad stat. Not mad, it's not even a stat. That doesn't, that doesn't do it justice. It's not a stat. It's not a football game, but it's a mad fact that actually I had no idea was the case because I always thought they had like a bit of overlap. Really puts in perspective the longevity of how long Egypt went for. Like we say Rome went from 700 BC when Romulus started it and kind of crumbled after 500 years. And there was only an empire for a few hundred of them. I mean, it's still around now, but the ancient Egypt was around for 3,000 years. Like we're closer to Cleopatra than Cleopatra was to the pyramids. So that's pretty good going for the Egyptians. It's massive. It's mad. Which to be fair, we will we'll go there again. 
Yes, I will. This is another place where we just did not explore well enough. And it's a place that I would love to go back to again. I think with Rome as well, it's such a tourist trap. But for me, I always try and stay clear of the tour- tourist attractions. And so I think there's actually so much more to Rome than the tourist attractions and then what we did. And it's definitely a place I love to explore more. Yeah, we definitely didn't spend, we, we diverted to Portugal, so we didn't spend the time there we wanted to. Also, not a place to take the van like any other city we've mentioned. But yeah, definitely go back to do it properly. But definitely still do the tourist attractions. Like the Colosseum's cool, I want to go inside it. But four million people go and see it every year. I still want to see it, just maybe not go in summer. Charlie, have we have we inspired you to venture down the boot of Italy to Rome? Do you know what? You've just tickled my taste buds with the taste of Rome. And I can say, I camper can say that I want to go to Rome. Shout out Henry Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Charlie. So you do want to go to Rome, but is there anywhere as good as Rome back home in Gloucestershire? Hello and welcome to Home and Away with me, Charlie. This week, we're in Rome. When in Rome, do as the Romans. When in Gloucester, do as the Gloucestons do. In our very own Roman city of Gleevem, we have a sparkling coliseum known as King's Arm. Oh yes, and the gladiators here are much more fierce than those you'll find in Rome. And the wild animals in the shed ten times as ferocious the cherry and white kit much like the crimson splattered armor of those gladiators in the pits yes next time you're in gloucester get yourselves down to the arena and bathe for blood for the mighty glass <laughs> absolutely incredible there's nowhere better in the world than the shed in king's home in gloucester a lot of happy memories there as good a coliseum as you'll find and should be famous the world over what an establishment. Shame there's no crowds there at the minute. Yeah, that's an absolute belter of a thing, which when lockdown's over, I can't wait to get back to rocking in the shed with the lads and a few pints, cheering on the mighty Glossed. But until then, we're stuck reminiscing about road trips and forcing Charlie to come up with alternatives in the Shire. Next week, we are racing up the peninsula to Venice whilst causing genuine carnage on the motorway in an incident that still makes me wince. We also checked out the iconic canals and beach, as well as having a campsite disaster and a night out nightmare. Join us then for what should be a belter. For now, thank you for listening to What's in Matt's Head. I've been Matt Head. Goodbye. I've been Will. Goodbye. He's the love. He's the love. Fucking shocking times. Right, let me, Sorry. Right, let me do it again. Let me do it again. Rosie was laughing at you. She's embarrassed to listen. To <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go again. I'll go again then. Have a good evening. It's Will. He's completed <laughs> it. Completed it. <laughs> and I've been Rosie, the live audience. Oh, Rosie, honestly, I don't understand what you're doing here. I'm doing Sudoku. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can download all the shows we've done so far from Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please get in touch with us on Twitter using the What's In Matt's Head hashtag. If you leave us a review wherever you've listened to this, that would be great. And if you could share it with your mates, that would be even better. Don't forget to subscribe so that you get all the latest episodes straight to your device. We will be back next week, but for now, goodbye.